This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Stay Puffed Marshmallows. Stay Puffed stays puffed, even when toasted. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's another double feature week. The late night double feature show. With 1984's and 2016's Ghostbusters, in honor of the new Ghostbusters movie coming out. Uh, which we have not seen yet. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. we'll do that one too. I don't know. We'll see. Getting into our first movie right away, 1984's Ghostbusters, directed by Ivan Reitman and written by Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, apparently uncredited writing. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, and William Atherton. What is Ghostbusters about, Kelsey? Paranormal psychologists, (laughs) scientists, kind of fall into the business of capturing ghosts because they just happen to, you know, they are experts in their field, quote unquote, uh, but they just happen to be at the, that they're in their prime and they are these scientists when there happens to be this happening of all these ghosts are coming and taking over New York City. Yeah, perfect timing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is available with subscription to DirecTV, Freeform, and Spectrum On Demand. You can rent it for $4 or buy it from anywhere from 13 to 15 although it is cheapest on DirecTV. Kelsey... Should people watch Ghostbusters? Yes, obviously. <laughs> Obvi. Of course. It's Ghostbusters. Yes. Of course you should watch Ghostbusters. Yes. I mean, there's kind of nothing more to say about that. <laughs> you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1984's Ghostbusters. Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse 
of Spook Central. You want this body? Is this a trick question? Ghostbusters, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Ghostbusters begin? Well, I think that we don't need to go through the motions of this movie because either you've seen it or you should see it. Right. And I feel like if we were to go through this scene by scene, I would need to go through it line by line and we would be here for a very long time. Totally reasonable. So how would you like to handle this one, Kels? Tell them what happens. Tell them the story. Okay, so... Uh, in sort of segments, we have these professors who are called in to investigate what appears to be a haunting in a New York library. You've got Vankman, who is played by Bill Murray, mm-hmm. who is the kind of quote-unquote cool one of the bunch. Who was originally supposed to be Belushi before he passed away. It's me, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy. Supposed to be the original Ghostbusters. Oh, that would have been bad. Well, I mean, nobody knew what Ghostbusters was going to be until it was, True. I think is the big thing. True. So Bill Murray is fabulous in this movie, but unfortunately he has some really cringy, creepy lines. Oh, stuff. yeah. I mean, it hasn't aged well in that respect. Bankman's mm-hmm. a creep, and he's a creep several times. Yes. He's a lovable creep, but he's still a creep. I have to go now, Jennifer, but I'd like to work with you some more. Perhaps you could come back this evening, say at 8 o'clock? I was just going to say, eight (laughs) o'clock, you are a legitimate phenomenon. And then you have Dan Aykroyd playing... Ray Stance. Ray, and he's kind of a bumbling, like he's a genius, but he's a bumbling fool at the same time. very much himself, too. I mean, part of the reason this movie even exists is because Dan Aykroyd comes from a family of paranormal believers. He is very, very famously... Like, a paranormal conspiracy theorist. Awesome. Like, you know that Crystal Skull vodka? Yeah. That's his. Okay. And it's a reference to, you know, the Crystal Skulls that were found and, yeah, <laughs> aliens and, like, that. that's Dan Aykroyd. So he brings that to it. At 1.40 p.m. at the main branch of the New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue, 10 people witnessed a free-floating, full-torso vaporous apparition. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. And then Harold Ramis brings, like... I collect spores, molds, and fungus. And, of course, there's ad-libbing everywhere. Yes, and Harold Ramis is great in this as Egon, who is the smartest and also the most... Socially awkward. Socially (laughs) awkward, but like not, I feel like he gets that he's socially awkward, he just doesn't care. Right. Yes, very, very much so. I agree. It is not that he's unaware of how he acts. Also, he wasn't supposed to be playing that part. He was just going to write, and then they couldn't find someone to play the part that he liked, so he's like, fuck it, I'll do it. (laughs) So those three, yes, are... Uh, working for what we what is Columbia University, but they refuse to be acknowledged by name. And they're doing all this paranormal investigation into psychics and ghosts and things like that. They get called in, and just as they see their first full torso apparition, 
the school shuts them down and kicks them out. They take they take away their grant. And the woman who is scared, the librarian, is Finkel's mom. Yes, it's Mrs. Finkel from Ace Ventura, Alice Drummond. <laughs> Dan Marino should die of gonorrhea and rot in hell. Would you like a cookie, son? And she's very funny. Oh, yeah, she's My great. My uncle thought he was St. Jerome. <laughs> I think he's the patron saint of librarians, I think is the little added joke there. Awesome. Oh, we also see Stephen Tash, who is rich in Christine. He's the, the young man. Being tortured by Vankman, which yeah. sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> and again, Vankman being a huge creep. They decide to forge out on their own into the private sector, where they're going to need to make their own money and they can't rely on grants. They expect results. Yeah, uh-huh. It's all this very Reagan-era politics, right? They kind of take advantage of Ray (laughs) putting down a third mortgage so they could fund this venture. They end up buying or renting, I guess. I think they buy, right? The old hook and ladder firehouse. Does this pole still work? Yeah. (laughs) Ray is just super, he's like a kid. (laughs) He's like a little kid. And so is Venkman, but in a different way. So they create the Ghostbusters, which wasn't always potentially going to be the name because of the Ghostbusters, the old school uh, property Ghostbusters, which is why when I grew up, I had Ghostbusters like cartoon on tape and I loved it. And it was the one with the gorilla. Uh, they technically owned the rights. And it's a really, really great story. I, I want to say it's in the movies that made us. For this, uh, for Ghostbusters, but the man who greenlighted Ghostbusters at Sony ended up leaving that company. And then when they needed to get approval to use the Ghostbusters name and they were filming two different things, they were filming Ghostbusters, Ghostbreakers, they had different signs, they had people chanting different names. It was a big headache and they didn't want to do it anymore. So they're like, we just need to take care of this. We need to get the name Ghostbusters. And so they went to the studio that owned the name Ghostbusters. And who was it that ran that studio? The guy who originally greenlit this movie. (laughs) So he's like, yeah, take it. (laughs) It was great. It was just kismet. It worked out really well. Uh, So, yes, they are now the Ghostbusters. They have commercials out, and we get to meet... We're ready to believe you. Yeah, we're ready to believe you. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Ghostbusters. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. We meet Dana Barrett, played by Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver is so utterly fantastic in this movie. Why she would be interested in Bill Murray is a little hard to understand. She's very much not interested in him, but he eventually wears her down. With his obnoxiousness, which is exactly the sort of behavior you want to encourage, right? Mm -hmm. But she is perfect in this movie. She's so funny. Oh, she's so great. And she's so gorgeous. Oh, my God. When she becomes possessed Uh and she's in that dress and she's got that makeup on and her hair is all wild and the the air is blowing into her face. She looks great. Uh Uh-huh. Sigourney Weaver, fantastic in this movie. 
weird things start happening to her. The eggs that she just got in her groceries start bursting out of the carton and frying on the countertop. I also want to point out that when she's walking in... She has to have the fresh lettuce head coming out. Oh, yeah, up sticking out. The out. There might as well have been a baguette, right? <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you wouldn't know that they were groceries. Uh-huh. Am I right, people? She also runs into Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis is my favorite. He Lewis is Tully. so hilarious. Every line, I just, oh my God, I, I have to find some. Hold on. Okay, so Sigourney Weaver is my hero in this movie because she is not afraid. Like, she's very polite, but she's also not afraid to just be like, get the fuck out. Yeah. uh To both uh, Rick Moranis and Bill Murray. Yes. And she tries to be polite. She tries to be polite. So Rick Moranis. But she's firm. It's almost like he's always standing at the door. Like, listening, like, she always tries to creep by so he won't hear her, and he always hears her and always comes into yes. the hallway. every time she comes home, he stops her. Yeah. And he, he lives across the hall. And he tells her that he's going to have a party, and she's just like, I'll really try to make it, Lewis. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, you really shouldn't keep your TV on so loud. She's like, what? I didn't realize I had my TV on. He's like, but you know what I did? I turned my TV on loud, so they would think it was me, too. First, he tried to climb out on the balcony to maybe unplug the cable, and he couldn't do that, and so he turned up his TV really loud, too. I love him. I love him so much, because he's... That's also a little creepy behavior. He's such a But he doesn't know what he's doing. He does not mean to be. Vankman does. Yes. Miranda's <laughs> knows. a total creeper and does not know it. Right. Uh, and he's every time he leaves his apartment to talk to her, he ends up locking himself out. Which Somebody is, let me in! Which has added hilarity of him locking himself out of his own apartment and not being able to find the door to the restaurant later on. <laughs> because he's the key master. <laughs> He needs the gatekeeper. <laughs> but like there's that extra level of, of funny if you're thinking about that. So yes, weird things start happening to Dana in her apartment. And you see Stay Puffed Marshmallows. Oh, she has them, yes, uh-huh, yes, on her counter. I always thought, I always thought, when the dog opens up its mouth, all you hear is a roar. And she always says, I heard him say Zool. Zool, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's what the lines say at the bottom, Zool. I barely can make it out. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I mean, okay, so we just watched this in theaters for Halloween. And then we watched it again so we could take notes and everything. Both times, I don't think I really fully gathered. Like, I heard the name, but I, I couldn't recall right now if it was just a, a disembodied voice calling out to her. If that was... Gozer, or if it was the the terror dog. It's supposed to be the dog, the dog opens up its mouth. But the dog is her. There's like this bright light. Well, the dog is Zool. Yeah, she's Zool. Yeah, the dog says yes. its own name here. Well, that's what I'm wondering, if it actually is the dog saying that, or if the dog opens its mouth and it's Gozer saying got a comment like the worst part about this movie she's seeing all this in her fridge by the way the worst part about this movie are the terrible effects when the effects are bad they're very bad but when they're good they're great so the dog opens up its mouth to say zool 
And it's, you know, it wants to, they wanted it to have a bright light coming out of its throat, but all it ends up being is just a a light bulb, like, yeah, uh-huh. at the back of its throat. Yes, totally. So there's those sorts of things. The terror dogs are some of the worst, especially when, when they're they, running when around. When they try to composite them into a scene. <laughs> yeah, the explosions of air when they, like, burst through a door or whatever are very impressive. But then when they have to show the actual terror dog wreaking havoc and running around and stuff it's like oh man no good but when it's a puppet puppet looks great (laughs) love the puppet except for like you say when it literally has a light bulb in its mouth (laughs) so she's freaking out her there's some sort of temple in her (laughs) in her fridge calling out to zool and so she visits the ghostbusters who are having a hard time of things Yes, but they have hired a receptionist, and she is great. That's Annie Potts as Janine Melnitz. Yes, Janine is fabulous. I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. And she's in love with Egon, and I really want her to be with Egon, even though she's so perfectly matched with... Rick Moranis in the second film. Yes. No, they are perfectly matched in the second film. But I so desperately want her to be with Egon because she's so in love with him in this movie. And I think if I remember in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, based on this Ghostbusters, I think there is sort of a flirtation between her and Egon. I'm not entirely positive, but I seem to vaguely recall that. Janine, you've got to listen to me. No, I did it for you. So you'd notice me, and you never did! Janine, listen to me. I've been trying to tell you. It doesn't matter what you look like. I'm here because I'm worried about you. Because I care, Janine. Not because of how you look, but because of who you are. I love you. Egon? I love you too, Egon! But Egon, unfortunately, and I'll tell you in a second why that's important, Egon's kind of asexual. Like, we don't really explore much about him, but when... She is very obviously flirting with him. He's like willfully not registering that. Sometimes he's into it. Sometimes he's not. Yeah, it's a little weird. But what makes it especially weird is that in the new movie, I don't know how they're going to explain this. He apparently had children because that's his farm where all that stuff is. Those are his grandkids. I thought he was their uncle. No, 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 no. Carrie Coon is his daughter. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to explain that. Hmm. Maybe Janine is her mom? I don't know. <laughs> no, Janine was with Rucker Moranis in the, in the second, second movie. one, but a lot of things can happen, I guess. I guess. Uh, anyway. I love that when she comes to see them and explain her situation, Dan Aykroyd, in the middle of a business meeting, is just drinking a beer. Yeah, okay, so there is a lot of that. There's a lot of smoking in this movie. So many cigarettes in this movie. (laughs) Yes. But it was the 80s. Oh, yeah, totally. People smoked. Like, you want to try and pretend like it wasn't like that. It was. And they they take her statement, basically. And Venkman is trying to encourage his buddies to, how can we help this woman out? We need her as a client because I have the hots for her. Well, but also we need money. Right. But he's like, I'll go with her to her apartment. You guys, what are you going to do? Yeah. So Dan Aykroyd is supposed to look into the structural, the structure of the building. Like the history of the building. See if there are any, anything that might 
come before this that might imply that there were, were hauntings previously or anything like that. And then Egon is going to do digging into the name Zool. Yes. So they go to Dana's apartment and Vankman is, it's a real thing. It's for locating gas leaks. It's called the sniffer. Apparently he was given a whole bunch of gadgets at, that he could use in that scene. And that's what he selected. <laughs> and he doesn't find anything. He's very charmingly creepy again, <laughs> and this time asks for a kiss. You are so odd. Yes. Also, and you're she, like a game show host. And she full on pushes him out, like, uh, by his face. Yeah. Apparently, a cut moment from that is as he's walking down the hall and Lewis locks himself out again. It cuts right there. Apparently, it's cutting out him saying to Lewis something like, what a woman, or something like that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. But they do end up getting jobs, and one in particular is at a hotel. This is their first job. This is their first big from, job, yeah. Aside uh-huh. from her. It's the Slimer mm-hmm. that everyone knows. Who's never called Slimer in this. He's only ever given the name Slimer in the cartoon. And the weird thing about Ghostbusters is that it's never made clear why ghosts look the way they do, yes. behave the way they do. Some ghosts are just poltergeists and like to make trouble. Some are interested in the men. Some just want to scare you. It's weird. Yeah, some are weird blobs and cartoonish humans. Some are just actual bodies of dead people. But these are all different classifications of these spooks and specters. They, that's why they use all these terms, like a full torso apparition. At the end of this one, Ray calls Slimer a focused, focused non-terminal, repeating phantasm, phantasm or, or a class, class 5, five full-roaming full vapor. vapor. Real nasty one, too. So, like, there are different types of ghosts he acknowledges. The movie does acknowledge that, but it doesn't give a great explanation. It's just like, well, you know, the ghost world's weird, man. It's magic, man. It's magic, man. <laughs> I know it's a fan favorite. I know it was a big deal on the TV show. And then isn't it also in the second one? Yes. And I know uh, we already know it's going to be in the new one. And the Slimer is in the remake. You know, like, I get that it's a fan favorite. I Excuse me, Kelsey. He is not the Slimer. He is Slimer. That's his name. It's just weird that he keeps popping up everywhere. Yeah. Well, so... He was originally going to be designed to look kind of like he does. And then, this is an interesting story that I think they talked about again in the movies that made us. They were trying to get final approval until like the day before they were going to show it to everybody. Somebody said, we need him to look more like Belushi. And you're going to hear that a lot. People are like, oh, he was designed to look like Belushi. The people who made Slimer made him, presented him. We're told that you have one day to make him more like Belushi, took him back, changed nothing, and then presented him the next day. And they're like, oh, my God, it looks exactly like him. It's a smile with arms. How many of us to look like John Belushi? This is ridiculous. And you tell me the night before? This is insanity. I kind of didn't and told him I did. And they said, it looks great. It looks just like Belushi. So <laughs> he was not designed to look like Belushi. He looks nothing like him. Although I've never he is kind it. of a reference, like after the fact, to him. 
It, which I, th- I think is a pretty fun sort of complicated backstory to Slimer. He has a butt in this one, by the way. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Like, he fully has an ass in this one. I did not notice that. He doesn't in the remake. Mm. And we get a ghostbusting montage because they actually did it. People saw a ghost and they caught it. And then they threatened when the guy's like, I will not pay. It's funny. You see Egon behind him, like gesturing 4000 for this, 1000 for that. Uh, as Ray's quoting him the cost. And oh. he's like, I will not pay. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, fine. We'll put him back. And he's like, no, 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 no. And then they got like really popular out of this. We came, we, came, we, saw, we saw, we kicked, kicked its ass. ass. Uh-huh. And it's then the TV line. version is different. Well, oh, what is it in the TV version? What a knockabout of pure fun that was. That was another one of the ad libs. You know, they do it a lot. They do a lot of those takes of bursting out the door and then he says something. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what's scripted. I mean, there's so many great lines. Again, I don't want to just sit here and say every single one, but there's a lot of really good ones. Like Bill Murray goes to pull the tablecloth out from under stuff. Oh, and yeah, everything I always falls, wanted to try this. And he's just like, the flowers are still standing. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. And, and this is a key difference. It's going to be a very key difference with the remake is that There's a lot of ad-libbing in this movie, and never once, number one, does it feel like it derails the momentum. The movie continues on as they're ad-libbing. And two, all the characters feel like they're characters still. They're ad-libbing in character. It's going to be two things this movie gets right when it comes to the ad-libbing. It's a good point. I love when they're taking the Slimer down for the first time. Dan Aykroyd is like, don't look in the trap. And Egon goes. <laughs> I looked in the trap, Ray. <laughs> I looked in the trap, Ray. <laughs> a lot of fun stuff like that. And the montage is a lot of fun. A lot of the ghostbusting pop- montage. Yeah. A lot of famous uh, radio show hosts that you know. And Casey Kasem and stuff like that. Larry King. Yeah. And, you know, where is Elvis and how is he these days? Yeah. And there's a lot of really fun moments like that. But, of course, the most standout thing, and we've already heard it at this point, but it's the song. We haven't even talked about the song. It is so Yeah, Ray Parker Jr. Good. Turned it around in like a day or two or something like that. He just was not thinking of anything. Uh-huh. And it came from the script where they, you know, you call them and they come and bust your ghosts. And he's like, so, okay, who are you going to call? Yeah. And he got like his... Ghostbusters! I think it's his sister and her friends are the ones who are doing the shouting in the song. Like, it was just really last minute that he put it together. I afraid of no ghosts. Uh Uh-huh. Which is stolen, by the way, from Lonesome Ghosts. Yes. That's straight out of Lonesome Ghosts from Disney with Mickey and Goofy and Donald. (laughs) I ain't a scared of no ghosts. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Boston makes me feel good. Makes a lot of people feel good. <laughs> so good. Love that song. Also in this ghostbusting montage, two other things happen. Ray gets a ghost blowjob in a dream. <laughs> they liked that scene so much. It was originally supposed to be like really happening. They were spending the night in some old like Civil War fort or something like that. It was haunted. And then he gets a blowjob. They took all that out. And then they put just that scene in this montage as a dream. And it feels very out of place. It feels very out of place. It's very strange. <laughs> and then we also meet Winston Zedmore. 
right at the sort of middle end of this montage. And so he's going to join the team. Janine gives him his initial interview. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. He was very famously originally supposed to have a lot more lines and join the team way earlier. That was when he was going to be played by Eddie Murphy. So they needed to replace it. And since it wasn't going to be like a big name comedian, they reduced the size of the role. And sometimes people mention about how Ernie Hudson kind of got shafted because of that. He did. But also I see why. You have these three guys who are proven entities, comedic. I mean, I hate to use the word geniuses, but you know what I mean when I say that. And Eddie Murphy was going to be one of the four. And it's like, well, we can't get him. We're going to have to replace him with somebody nobody knows. We don't know if they're capable of this. We don't know if they can support that role. Just reduce the role and bring him in as the everyman, uh, like a lot of movies have when weird shit's going on. You know, you have an everyman who maybe doesn't believe this right off the bat. And he's a great character. He just, in this first movie, doesn't get very much screen time. Mm -hmm. He has very important lines. Mm -hmm. uh, he has, you know, very important interactions. He just has a bigger role in part two. And don't worry, we'll do part two. We will do part two. <laughs> part two is the one that scared me as a kid. Well, part two, part two is the one that I knew better as a kid. <laughs> First of all, it was more made for families than this one was. This but one so needed to be funny because that one's way scarier. Well, yeah, because it has fucking what's his face in it. <laughs> but it's the one they showed on TV more. It's probably cheaper, you know? So I saw number two way before I saw number one. It's one of those things where as a kid, you're vaguely aware that this thing exists in the zeitgeist, right? You're aware of the Ghostbusters. You've watched the cartoon. Uh, you know, you played with Terminator toys and watched the Rambo cartoon, but you didn't see those movies. <laughs> you were a kid, you know? So it was a little bit like that. I knew two far before I knew one. I see how number one is the better film, mm -hmm. definitely. But I don't think you should write off part two. <laughs> it's pretty good. He goes to see Sigourney Weaver again to tell her what he what they've found about him, Gozer being this god from Sumeria six thousand yes. years ago. Uh huh. Who I guess wants to take the take down the world? They made her up, right? She's not a real deity, right? Well, you say she. It's just a. A being, it can take any form at once. I thought Gozer was a man. It's whatever it wants to be. Yeah, not real at all. No Gozer, no Zool, no Vince Clortho. Who also, I think, gets short shrift. People talk about Gozer, people talk about Zool. They don't talk about Vince Clortho. And he is great. He brings a lot of the, the mythos about... Who's Vince Clortho? Exactly my point. Rick Moranis, when he gets the Keymaster. <laughs> but yes, Gozer the Gozerian and all of that, not real. Do you think the EPA guy is a Kiefer Sutherland wannabe? No, it's interesting that you say that. So that's William Atherton. The other role you know him from, probably. He's been in a lot of things. But he's very well known for this one. People apparently ruined his life when he was young. Uh, after this movie, by just keeping calling him Dickless. 
Uh, <laughs> he'd be recognized on the street and people would go, Dickless. <laughs> uh, but he was also the reporter from Die Hard, which Reginald Vell Johnson was in. And he's the guard, the prison guard in this movie. So like the two of them together, he's the one that Holly punches at the end of Die Hard because he's a dick and he went to her house and, you know, all of that. If you know Die Hard, he, this is kind of the character that he plays. It's also pretty unbelievable. I do get that. I mean, come on, you guys need oversight. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. There needs to be some sort of regulation here. <laughs> but this character is an arrogant blowhard because he is not taken seriously. He endangers the entire city and the world doing something that there's no way in fuck an EPA agent would actually do. Just shutting down this containment system that you have no idea what's in it. He thinks that it's like nerve gases and shit. So people hallucinate. If you think that's what's in there, you still wouldn't fucking just turn it off without inspecting it. I thought he thought there was nothing in there and he wants to prove that they've been lying to the people. I wrote down, it doesn't make any sense that an EPA rep thinks they're doing something dangerous and thinks that they're con men. How would they be both? Either there's something in there that's dangerous and it needs to be regulated or they're con men and there's nothing in there. (laughs) And I wrote down that he'd want the equipment supposedly causing so much danger to just be shut down with no analysis. And then the next line I have is sense and nerve gases which he mentions to the mayor to explain why people see all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, fuck, like they're fucking scarecrow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the scarecrow fear toxin or whatever. <laughs> but a lot of people read this as a very like, you know, Reaganite sort of reduce regulation. The EPA is good for nothing but get in the way of capitalism. Like that's how a lot of people read it. There are so many different ways that you could interpret this and what this all might be a stand in for. Some people say, you know, it's the Ghostbusters are concerned about something that's often overlooked by the people that are in power. And then when they try to do something about it, the people in power stop them from doing something about it. So maybe you could read the ghosts as the homeless in New York, you know, or something like that. There are plenty of other interpretations that you can have, but probably the key standout one is like the EPA and regulation is obstructive to people doing business and making money, which should be seen as a blanket good thing. But that's so funny because they absolutely trash on rich people in this movie. Totally. That's why I'm saying I don't think you can just walk away saying that was what was intended. I think that was just sort of the general Reagan era feeling. It's the way people made fun of, you know, pencil neck geeks and tight-fitting suits that work for some Which government agency. Which is hilarious, because these guys are scientists. Yeah. <laughs> but they're cool scientists. Back off, man. I'm a <laughs> I'm scientist. A scientist. <laughs> Meanwhile. Tell them about the Twinkie. So Egon is explaining what's going to happen. Because they're so popular, and they're storing all these ghosts, it's interesting, he's not really talking about the containment unit, although later on in that scene, they will interpret it as such. He's talking about how there's so much spectral activity going on in New York, something is happening. Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. (coughs) That's a big Twinkie. We could be on the verge of a fourfold cross-rip, a PKE surge of incredible, even dangerous proportions. 
So Dana goes home and her oh chair God. cops a feel. Oh my God, that always bothered me. I was like, why is it totally just grabbing it her? It tries to miss. It tries to put its hand up like by her clavicle. Then in other shots, it's like because she's struggling and everything. And then there's one shot where it's like, oh man, did he just grab her boob? Yeah, he totally grabs her boob. And I- pulls her to the kitchen and... The refrigerator, which is where the weird shit was happening. But you skipped the party because Rick Moranis is having his so party at the same at the time. same time. Rick Moranis is having his party. And she's I, already committed to going out me. with Venkman. Yeah, you made a date for tonight. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's okay. You can bring him along. Uh-huh. I love that he just wants her to come. Yes. I love that. And there's a great wonder. <laughs> Traveling throughout the party where we get to see everyone. Rick Moranis is a genius. He's a genius. He's a absolute genius. Everything he does is so good. (laughs) This tall, gorgeous woman. It's not the woman from... uh, It's it's Casey Kasem's wife. Audrey, too. Okay. Yeah, it's Casey Kasem's wife. No, it's not not Audrey. Okay. (laughs) But it could pass for Audrey. (laughs) You know, the tall, sort of bimbo-y blonde. Gorgeous. Yes. uh (laughs) I'm going home. Well, maybe if you and me dance, everyone else will join in. She's like, burn in, burn okay. yeah. yeah, and then they just dance, and they, it's so good. She gets so into it, and then it, like, <laughs> is immediately somebody knocks on the door. And I love that she wanted to dance with him. Uh-huh. And his dance is so good. <laughs> and then he goes to get the door. He doesn't even like think, like, oh, if I stop, she'll leave. He's just like, I got to no, go get I got to be door. a good host. He's and so he, great. He and introduces he, his guests by walking everyone through their financial situation because he's an accountant these are all his clients and so he gets to write it off it's so good hey this is real smoked salmon from nova scotia canada 24.95 a pound it only cost me 14.12 after tax though i'm giving this whole thing as a promotional expense that's why i invited clients instead of friends you having a good time mark how you doing why don't you have some of the brie it's at room temperature you think it's too warm in here for the brie he throws their coats into his bedroom and it lands on one of the terror dogs, Vince Clortho. <laughs> okay, who brought the dog? <laughs> and it comes bursting out, and he panics and freaks out. There's a bear loose in my apartment. <laughs> Later on, they call it like a, a cougar or a panther or something. <laughs> it comes bursting out, and it chases him to the restaurant. Is where... that supposed to be on the green? I have no idea. So there's this famous re- restaurant that's in the middle of Central Park, I think. And, like, it's this big open glass round a restaurant on the mm-hmm. green. It's very, very fancy. And I have been there once. And that's the scene where they're totally trashing on the rich people. Because yes, this uh-huh. poor guy is being attacked. And, and they're they just, like, mm, and they turn around. But Do not care. He was up against the window and he was attacked by the terror dog. So, like, wouldn't they have seen the dog, too? <laughs> but I think something happens. Like, they both, like, it doesn't feast on him all we it, see is him it possesses slowly him. going down yeah so it it like maybe jumped into his mouth or some shit it possessed him it didn't kill him cute little pooch <laughs> i might have a might have a biscuit in here <laughs> every line is great gold he's so good meanwhile venkman shows up for his date with dana are you the key master 
So he does the thing where he says no, and so she just closes the door in front of him. And then he knocks again. Are you the key master? <laughs> and like I said, she looks gorgeous, fantastic. And to his credit, ah, this hurts to say because this should be minimum expectation. But he doesn't take advantage of her. But he makes jokes about not wanting to. Yes. You want this body? Is this a trick question? I guess the roses worked, huh? Take me now, sub creature. We never talk anymore. I make it a rule never to get involved with possessed people. Actually, it's more of a guideline than a rule. You know, I can. I want you inside me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can't. Sounds like you got at least two people in there already. Might be a little crowded. But, I mean, she's possessed by a demon. Like, of course you're Do not you going to. you want this body? Take me, sub-creature. Sub-creature. They use that term a couple times in here. Yes, take me, sub-creature. It's so good. <laughs> so he leaves her there. She floats off the bed. Yeah, and, she does the whole yeah. floating, and then she turns in, in midair. And every time I see this scene, I immediately incredible. think of Quackbusters. Really? Which is impossible to find. You can't find it anywhere. I tried to find it this morning to watch it. I don't know if maybe I saw Quackbusters around the same time I saw this, but for some reason they are just fused in my brain. Interesting. And I know it's because Quackbusters takes this scene. Yeah. He goes to interview a woman and she rises and turns and turns into a monster but they are just fused. I cannot watch one without thinking of the other. If you're curious how they did this, they cast a full body mold of Sigourney Weaver. And so she's in that and they're rotating that from behind the curtain in the background. There is no Dana, only Zool. Yes, that classic line. And then when she does it in the demon voice, that's supposedly Ivan Reitman doing that voice. What I'd really like to do is talk to Dana. I want to talk to Dana. Dana, it's Peter. There is no Dana. There is only Zool. Oh, Zooli, you nut. Now, come on. Come on, I want to talk to Dana. Dana, just relax. Come on. Dana, Dana. Can I talk to Dana? There is no Dana, only Zool. What a lovely singing voice you must have. We must prepare for the coming of Gozer. Gozer. The Destructor. The Traveler. They give him a bunch of names. So Lewis, outside, he, he this is where he gets all the myth stuff, which is so great. He's just walking around <laughs> looking for the gatekeeper. I'm the key master. Are you the gatekeeper? <laughs> he says, I'm the key master. The Destructor is coming. Gozer, the Traveler, the Destroyer. He comes across a horse. And refers to the horse as gatekeeper. I am Vince. Vince Clortho, key master of Gozer. Volcus Sildro, our lord of the Sebulia. Are you the gatekeeper? So good. <laughs> he pulls the wagon. I made the deals. You want to ride? <laughs> and then he whispers to the horse, wait for the sign. All prisoners, All prisoners will, be will be released. And then he tells the other you guy. You perish in flames. <laughs> you perish in flames. <laughs> You and all your kind. <laughs> the coachman's like, what an asshole. <laughs> so for bullshit reasons, he ends up getting taken to the Gus yes. Ghostbusters. He's arrested and the cops don't want anything to do with him. The insane asylum or whatever doesn't want to take him. So they sh drop him off at the Ghostbusters and 
Egon interviews him in which he has more great lines. He asks him, what sign are you waiting for? He says, Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. <laughs> so good! Yes. Perfect! He is fantastic. <laughs> Do you want some coffee? Do I? Yes, have some. Yes, yes have, have some. some. <laughs> Such a simple joke, but so good. So, Venkman goes back, and it's like, hey, there's shit going on with Dana. Oh, this is the key master. If she's the gatekeeper, should we get these two together? I think but that would be extraordinarily bad. This is when the EPA shows up and tries to shut everything down and successfully does. And all the ghosts that they've been catching during that montage break out. Okay, this scene is fabulous. I love the music. The song is great. Please. Please. Yes. Uh-huh. Please. <laughs> I believe it's magic, magic. I believe it's magic. And fucking Sigourney Weaver is doing this slow walk with the wind rushing at her towards the window. And I don't care that the effects don't look real at all. It's The colors are fun. And I love this whole sequence. I just love it. I think it's fantastic. And this is when we find out that her building is where they would do these bizarre rituals. To bring Gozer. Yes, so they get arrested, the Ghostbusters. Vince Clortho gets away. And in prison is where we get the explanation of everything that's happening. There was an architect who built the building, who ran a cult, who prayed to Gozer the Gozerian. And that's why he's being summoned here. Specifically, this building was built as a receptacle uh, to bring him there. Why now? We don't know. We don't know. Her apartment is, what do they call it? Penthouse, Ghost Central, or something like that. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. It's because of where she is, not who she is. And because she's there, the two of them are the ones that get possessed by Zool and Vince Clortho. And then they end up getting broken out. Not broken out, but Reginald Vell Johnson comes and says the mayor wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole dickless scene, which, of course, everyone already knows. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. The mayor ends up going with the Ghostbusters plan because, as Venkman puts it, if we're wrong then we're wrong. Nothing happens. Arrest us. Gladly we'll serve time or whatever. But if we're right, think of how many registered voters you will have saved, Mr. <laughs> Mayor. Yes. And we also get the classic dogs and cats living together mass hysteria line. Yes. Which is, of course, great. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. I want to point something out here. When they go into her building, uh-huh. 
Art Deco. Very nice. Uh-huh. I agree. They're in the teens, and it looks like there's a whole bunch of floors above them. When we got that shot up through the stairs, and her apartment's only on, like, 22 or something like that. So where are all those stairs going? Well, there's more. I think there's more. There's, like, a spire on top of them, on top of it. But she's, like, a penthouse apartment. Like, it's top floor full size. Well, the reason I'm bringing this up. Uh Uh-huh. They're in the hallway about to go into her apartment. There's a big wheel sitting out there. And I couldn't help but wonder... If that was a reference to The Shining, because of ghosts in a hallway, and there just oh. happens to be a big wheel sitting out there. Yeah, I don't know what that even would be about. Like, for no reason, because we haven't seen any kids in this apartment or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like they did that on purpose. Maybe. Maybe. Well, they find, first of all, the walls blasted out, out into the open air, and there's that great... It's a composite shot, and it's very obvious, but it's still very well done. Where do these stairs go? Up. <laughs> yeah, the s- stairs have been revealed in all the destruction that they didn't realize were there. They were probably on the blueprints, I would assume. So she's a dog. <laughs> they go up and they see the two of them and they turn into the terror dogs again. And, of course, we get Gozer, the Gozerian, who comes out here on top go of the get building. get her, Ray. <laughs> Which is a callback to the earlier in the film when they met the first librarian ghost. Who, when he, when they had no get idea her, they were doing. Get her, yeah. Get her. Go get her, Ray. Get her. <laughs> and what he decides to do is he, like, basically reads her her rights. And yes. I love Bill Murray's response of, yeah, that'll do it. Thanks, Ray. Thanks a lot. <laughs> the voice of Gozer is not the model actress that played the part. Uh, It was Patty Edwards, who has been in a couple Disney movies, including The Little Mermaid. She was Flotsam and Jetsam. I believe Uh, that. She was also the secretary at the factory in Halloween 3. I was like, man, I recognize... I feel like we might have even put it in the episode. I don't know. But I was like, man, I recognize her voice. Are you a god... And Ray says, no, (laughs) even though Venkman, who learned his lesson from earlier when she asked if he was the key master. Yes. When Zool did, is like, yes, yes. Like, he does a fist pump, like, yes, be confident, say yes. Uh, And he says, no, uh, and then die, and blasts them. And this is when Winston gets his line, Ray, Mm -hmm. when somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. It's really good. Um, Let's show her how we do things downtown. So they go to attack her and she does flips and and jumps away from their proton packs. But they think they get her. She disappears. They thought they got her. It's Miller time. (laughs) Yes. They're going to go crack open some beers. And then they hear Gozer's voice again, asking them to choose the form of their destruction. All right, everyone. Make your minds go blank. Don't think of anything. This is always... Bothered I me. can understand why it would. Always. Because he uses an example of, oh, I get it how this works. If we think of... J. Edgar Hoover. Then J. Edgar Hoover will be the cause of our destruction. So why is a J. Edgar Hoover popping up? Right. They managed to clear their brains. But Ray does not. Not Dan Aykroyd. He was trying to go the extra mile and think of something that was so sweet and innocent it could never hurt them. And that's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. And so this giant 100-foot Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man comes 
traipsing through the streets to the building and starts climbing it. And all the facial expressions on this fucking thing are so good. (laughs) And they decide what they need to do is they need to cross the streams in order to total reverse particulation or whatever it is that he says. Which they earlier, Mm -hmm. Egon said at the hotel with the Slimer, do not cross the streams. Yes. Because that could undo everything within our universe. But what he says here is it works both ways. So if we do it against them, it'll undo their universe. So they, they fire it into the portal, into this other dimension, and cause that to explode. We get this great shot, very Terminator 2, of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man just being vaporized. And then all of this, what turns out to be shaving cream, falls on William Atherton in the street below. Apparently, it was supposed to be 75 pounds. And he asked them, uh, won't that hurt? And they're like, yeah, but it's shaving cream. And in interviews, William Atherton is like, oh, you know, it's like that famous thing. What weighs more, a ton of bricks or a ton of feathers? The answer is they weigh exactly the same, right? It's still 75 pounds worth of shaving cream. Shaving cream or not, it weighs 75 pounds and you're dropping it on him. So they set up one shot where a stuntman was like, fine, I'll, I'll take it. And they dropped it on him and pff, flattened him. He fell right to the floor. Uh, and was he okay? The, he was fine, ultimately. But William Atherton was like, well, I'm thankful I asked. This guy who gets paid for things like this to happen to him and who knows what he's doing got knocked on his ass. So they took out half of it. And then that's what we actually get in the movie. And it actually looks really good. And he stays standing the whole time. And he's humiliated because, of course, he is. <laughs> and then everyone's cheering because the Ghostbusters did it. Hooray. They all come out of the corners covered in marshmallow, except for the unspoken joke that Venkman has barely any on him at all. Well, he got slimed earlier in the yes. film. Which is a thing that if, you know how I said, like, the characters feel very much like the characters, everything they do with them feels appropriate for the specific character it happens to. Mm-hmm. That always felt to me like it should have been a Ray thing. Ray's the one who gets slimed and goes, oh, God. You know, he's the <laughs> hapless one, not Bankman. But anyway, they're worried because the terror dogs are now stone and knocked over and everything. And they're apologizing to Vankman. Eh, you know you really liked her. Sorry. Not even thinking about Rick Moranis. Yeah. And then she pokes her finger out of one. And I love the way they did this where they tear apart the shell of a dog and she's just inside. That was really cool. So the two of them get saved. They get down to the ground floor. And again, everyone's cheering for them. They drive off. Meanwhile, Rick Moranis gets taken in the opposite direction to be looked at. Yes. And that's the end of the movie. Yes. They kiss, and it's a terrible kiss. Venkman and Dana. It's forgettable. Yeah. But that is Ghostbusters. Are there any lightning round things you wanted to bring up? Again, I could just go on and on about how brilliant this movie is. Rick Moranis is pure gold. Sigourney Weaver is fabulous. Bill Murray, when he's not being creepy, is hilarious. Egon is awesome. Dan Aykroyd is great. Did I tell you what he did? What Bill Murray did? Where he agreed he'd be in the movie? And then they, he was like on vacation or something. You know how famously he has this like line that you can call and then you like... If you have a job for him, you read the script 
over the voicemail, and then he decides if he wants to do it or not. I have not heard this. So no. it's something. It's not. It's not how they did it here, but that's a famous Bill Murray thing. Dan Aykroyd asked him to be in the movie to take Belushi's role, and he said ultimately that he would do it. He said, "Yep, I'll be there," but he was like out of the country, and they hadn't heard from him until. The day was going to come when we're going to start filming and he needs to be here on this day. They had no idea if he was actually going to show up until he just did. <laughs> he was just there on set. Well, I'm here. Let's get going. Bill was in France at the time. Bonjour. While we were doing all this sort of prep work. He hadn't signed the dotted line yet. So there was a deal, but it wasn't 100% in place. I had this nervousness that he wasn't really going to show up because I was taking Ackroyd's word for it. We don't know where he is. We're about to start tomorrow. We would like to get our first shot by 10.30. Nobody knew where Billy was. Lo and behold, there he is. Eight in the morning, he shows up on the set to go to work. You know, so that's classic Murray, you know. But he did. He did, he did. And it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I think that Harold Ramis is an unspoken gem. I know it's ridiculous to say because it's Ghostbusters and what hasn't been spoken about it, <laughs> but he's so, so good. He gets his moments. Like Venkman mentions that Egon was going to drill a hole in his head and Spengler has that line, that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. Mm -hmm. It's so, so good. <laughs> when they power up Ray's proton pack for the first time, and then <laughs> and they, they look at each other, and then they step away. Yeah. Just, mwah, just, mwah, 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 perfect. <laughs> I love this movie, and I could go on and on, but I think that is good. Right. Agreed. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I assume it's 100. It is 97. Whoever said it wasn't good can suck There it. are two negative reviews. So first of all, the consensus is an infectiously fun blend of special effects and comedy with Bill Murray's hilarious deadpan performance leading a cast of great comic turns. Metacritic of 71. So I was curious. I'm like, who wrote negative reviews of Ghostbusters? Mm -hmm. I can understand if you don't think it's a perfect movie. There are problems with the movie. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. But how you could walk away going, I didn't like it, is just, it was baffling to me. So I wanted to find out who it was. And it was Variety and the New York Times. Okay. Variety called it only intermittently impressive. In a review that they just don't have online anymore, or at least that I couldn't find. I don't know if they're embarrassed by it or what. Probably just wasn't archived. Mm -hmm. And the New York Times said there is more attention to special effects than to humor. Wow. That's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> right? <laughs> the special effects are shit. But it was a weird sort of movie. A movie like this, like a comedy with this big a budget. With this much special effects, it just did not exist. And so people were all like, what are they doing? This is supposed to be a comedy. It's supposed to be low budget. Uh, laugh a minute. You know, like, what is this? Ghosts? What the fuck? What's mm -hmm. this gate to another dimension? What's going on here? Well, it's great. Yeah. It kind of changed what could be done in comedy. It was a huge franchise. I mean, I had a buddy who had, like, every one of the toys. <laughs> It was great, and it was big enough that they ended up making a cartoon out of the original Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. But the only problem, really, aside from some of the cringy jokes, is that it's not scary at all. 
Yeah. I mean, I think especially one of the moments that people cite as being very scary is the librarian in the beginning. Like, it's spooky, and then she turns and screams. But immediately, they cut to, like, this comic beat where they're all screaming and running, and then there's a jazzy comedic tune playing as they're running out of the building. Exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! Like, they immediately diffuse what could be terrifying with slapstick, which mm-hmm. is a little weird. There are only a few slapstick moments in this movie. Whereas 2 goes into horror. Yes. Into horror territory. I agree. I agree. There are a lot of moments that are legitimately terrifying mm-hmm. in number 2. So do you think that 97 is overrated or underrated, Kelsey? I think it's pretty much, I mean, I was probably going to give it a 95. I'd say it's definitely 90s. It's not 100 for me. No, because there's For you, 100 just, means perfect. For me, 100 is the highest recommendation I can give something. Uh, there are just, there are jokes that Bill Murray makes that are, I'm just like, oh my God, like he's hitting on students, which is really uncomfortable. Yeah. He makes really, he, you know- Asks her if she's on the librarian if she's on her period. Um, he makes very inappropriate jokes towards Sigourney Weaver. You know, like mostly towards women. He's just kind uh-huh. of an asshole. I mean, he's asshole towards men, but you don't really care. Like he doesn't do it in a creepy way. It's not creepy when he does it to to men. Yeah, it's it's creepy and sexualized when he does it to women. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think that that's. I mean, it doesn't ruin the movie by any stretch. I just don't know if I should give it 95 or 97. I think I will give it a 95. Okay. I think 95 is great. This is a spectacular film. Yes. In so many ways, it hits every single nail directly on the head. And you got to remember also that the, the special effects are garbage. Yes. That's the, I, that's the other reason why I don't think I could give it 100. There are special effects that take you out of it and not in a way where it's like, I can't take this comedy seriously (laughs) or it's just like, Oh no, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, Things didn't age well. And I understand it was different when you were seeing it for the first time in the theaters, Mm -hmm. but we're not seeing it for the first time in the theaters. Mm -hmm. We're we're grading it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I think a 95 it's that good that it overcomes all that, you know, shitty stuff. It's so good. Rick Moranis is so fucking amazing in this movie. And if he's not in the new one, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. I mean, he's we we talked about this before. He's coming back for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I mean, I was glad they all came back for the remake. Had Egon died at that point? Yes, he had. Okay, so that's the only reason he wasn't in it, too. He There was a bust of him at Columbia University. But even having all of them in the new one wasn't good enough. And then giving... Sigourney Weaver in the end credits. Yeah, giving her a bullshit thing in the end credits and giving Bill Murray a role where he doesn't believe in ghosts and he's the jackass? What the fuck is this decision? He was always the last holdout. And then having fucking Dan Aykroyd... I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Like, it's such a lame joke. Oh, God, yeah. It's so bad. Okay, well, let's, let's get into the remake now with 2016's Ghostbusters... Directed by Paul Feig, of course, of Freaks and Geeks and Bridesmaids fame. 
Very, very talented dude. He knows comedy. Written by Katie Dippold and Paul Feig. Of course, based on the original by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. Starring Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, Chris Hemsworth, Andy Garcia, Cecily Strong, Matt Walsh, Michael Kenneth Williams, and Neil Casey. There are a lot of names in this movie, and it's almost like they're hitting you over the head with every single one of them. This is the third Ghostbusters movie. They didn't seem to agree on whether or not this was part of the larger storyline, because all the trailers were like, 30 years ago, and now this is what's happening. But, but in, they don't acknowledge yes, it at all. in the context of the movie itself, this is all happening for the first time. Yeah. Uh, so, but this is effectively the third Ghostbusters movie. I'd say it's a remake. We were told when the 360 video game came out that that was what would be the the closest you would ever get to a third Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, no, I consider this a remake. Because get this, first of all, all four of the original Ghostbusters, including Harold Ramis, were in the game and did voices for their characters. Annie Potts, William Atherton, Max von Sydow, uh, Vigo, was in it as well. <laughs> Not Rick Moranis, though. No, because uh, he was out of the business. Uh, he stopped, like, his his wife was sick, and then she ultimately died, and he was taking care of his family, and he was just like, he didn't have a passion for it anymore, and he was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything anymore. And for the longest time, he didn't participate in anything, and so he's just now coming back. Uh, but anyway, uh, that was the last writing credit from Harold Ramis, except for year one, if you remember that movie with Jack Black and... Wasn't that supposed to be terrible? Yeah, uh-huh. But the reason why we never got a third movie up to that point was because when they did Ghostbusters 2, they were like, man, you got to do Ghostbusters 2. They were in a perfect position to be like, what if we don't want to do Ghostbusters 2? And so they were given the rights where all four of them, including Ernie Hudson, had like veto rights. They could say no to whatever came next. And they did repeatedly, especially Bill Murray. Bill Murray was always the last holdout until this one was finally approved. And I think one of the biggest problems with it is that what was scripted and what actually ended up in the movie are two completely different things. So what they approved and what we got, two different things. Uh, interestingly, Bill Murray, the longest holdout, has, like you say, the biggest role he has multiple scenes, whereas everyone else is just a cameo. Yeah, Winston is, isn't is in it until the very end either. But at least he plays like a character related to one of the main characters instead of like a random cab driver who says, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what would you say this Ghostbusters movie is about? I mean, a lot of it's pretty much the same. It's just women this time. And... Uh -huh. But in this one, the women deal with, and I think I get it, they're trying to make a fucking point, but, like, they deal with way more bullshit. Pe people, people that not are believing trying them. to push them down and all yes. that. And I get that, that metaphor. But that doesn't, that's not, it doesn't translate as funny. It translates as, oh, now here's another villain. Oh, here's another villain. Oh, here's yes. another villain. It's just like. This isn't funny anymore. I have said repeatedly on this show, and I will stick by it. One of the 
most tired tropes, especially in horror movies, is when nobody believes you. When you've seen something that's very real and then nobody believes you. I was, it was refreshing when we watched Annabelle Creation and I was like, nope, she's going to get caught in the room that the ghost unlocked and she's going to get blamed for it. But no, the ghost closed and locked the door behind her to ensure she wasn't caught. I thought, oh, what a nice little twist on a tired fucking trope. This movie is like 75% that trope. Yeah. And it's not a good thing to, like, stop putting that in your movie, people. But I get why they did, because it was very of the moment. This is the female remake of Ghostbusters. Let's talk about women's issues. So I get why they did it. It just makes it for a movie that wasn't very enjoyable for me. It's not funny. Exactly. Uh, These women are fucking hilarious. And they are very, very talented. But unlike the first movie where they ad-libbed in character and it didn't derail the momentum of the movie, this is the exact opposite. Everyone ad-libs in the exact same way, and then the movie comes to a screeching halt so we can just watch them come up with something clever. Yeah, and that's what it felt like, them just desperately trying to come up with the next thing. And my problem with this is, I feel like they're trying to emulate what they did in... Because, okay, when they did it in Bridesmaids, it worked... But I think that's because those were, like, friends. It felt like they they were actual friends, which is why it also works in all of the Judd Apatow movies. Yeah, this is, this is kind of the worst outcome of the Apatowization of comedy. Yes. Which is this just... This felt desperate. Just have a camera over each person's shoulder and then one camera for a wide shot and just keep them rolling and then this they'll come like up with something funny. Something else. Something else. Uh-huh. Something else. Oh, my God. Move on. The yes. scene is no good. Uh-huh. Uh, and we also watched the extended version just so we could get, you know, everything that was in there. It's an extra 15 minutes. It's the movie that never ends. Yes, it is very much the movie that never ends. <laughs> which you can watch if you're subscribed to Sling. You can rent it for $4. You can buy it for 10 to 15 It's cheapest on Google and YouTube. Should people watch it? Nope. If you're curious, I would say you can. Listen, listen. It's fine. The movie is fine. It's okay. It's just not good. And it's a bummer because the original is so fucking great. And the original is good in a way that makes you overlook its faults. And this one, every single fault is like a gaping sore. Why that- do feminist horror movies of the last five years feel they need to be so in your face about it? That subtlety goes a long way. I agree. I agree. Well, I think, I mean, part of it's just like, I have something to say and I'm going to say it. And it's, you're more interested in what you're saying than the movie. Like, I feel guilty for not liking this. Just like I feel, I, I, totally. I felt guilty when I didn't like the Black Christmas movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like I should like it, Well, these. because it wasn't Black Christmas anymore. Right? Like, the storyline wasn't even the fucking same. Even close. It just kind of took place. Think in your mind about Black Christmas. And I'm sorry I'm going to spoil 2019's Black Christmas for you. (laughs) Think in your mind about the original Black Christmas. One of our favorite fucking horror movies ever. (laughs) Full of women. And when men are creepy, it's... It's shown as being negative. And when the guy tries to be controlling, people think he's the villain of the fucking movie, right? Like, this is back in the 70s. <laughs> 2019, 
all of a sudden, this movie about this creep calling people on the phone, and he's inside the house, and then we don't know what happened to him, is now about a fraternity of men who want to rule the world and control all the women, and they're they're hypnotizing people, and they're like, what the, this isn't Black Christmas? What the fuck is this? This at least retains a lot of the things that make Ghostbusters Ghostbusters, but it is very fucking try hard. Like when they have all the gadgets and shit like that. Like, I, oh my oh. god! The okay, we didn't talk about yeah gadgets. Okay, so Egon has this thing that when you look at it now, it probably looks kind of stupid. But I feel like at the time, it looked it looked f- high tech, futuristic. The thing he puts on Vin's Clortho. Yeah, that is literally a colander, and they thought it was silly. Oh no! I meant no, no, no! I meant the thing that he holds. Oh, the PKE reader. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. The meter. That thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, in this, it's gaudy. <laughs> in in the new one, it's a Disneyland toy. Uh huh. It's one of those things that spins. That spins and lights up. Yeah. And uh-huh. like, I get it. You're probably thinking, yeah, the other one looked just as stupid. It didn't at the time. Right. This looks stupid for its time because it looks like a toy I can buy mm-hmm. at Disneyland. And it's like, okay, well, how can we mix it up? Well, what if what if there was a grenade? And what if there were handguns? And what if there was a wood chipper vacuum one? And it's like they were just trying to come up with gimmick, 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 gimmick. The whole point is that they have these giant nuclear reactors on their back And they're heavy and they're unwieldy because that's what's required to power them. And they have that in this movie, in the same movie where they just have handguns that have no power source that she invents in between scenes. After the previous scene, she had just invented a new thing. And it's like, it's, it's infuriating in that way where it's like the, it's, it it feels like they're trying too hard and then they're trying not at all at the very same time. And so it's a little bit angering and none of it, none of the reasons you shouldn't watch this movie have anything to do with the fact that they're women. No. These are very talented, very funny women. The movie just kind of sucks. Yep. So take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2016's Ghostbusters. You all are drawing a lot of attention. Do you have any idea how many federal regulations you're breaking? One. No. Two? No. One and a half. You wanna go find some ghosts? Come on! The hat is too much, right? All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Ghostbusters 2016, or also known as Ghostbusters Answer the Call, because movies do that now. They just change their titles, like Live, Die, Repeat, <laughs> was part of the actual title for Edge of Tomorrow. So stupid. Mm-hmm. How does Ghostbusters 2016 begin? Instead of the library, we get a tour of like a an old home mm-hmm. that is supposedly haunted. The tour is being given by the guy from Silicon Valley. Zach Woods. And plays he's the tour really guy. funny. Yeah, he's great. 
And it ends up being that it is actually haunted. And he, I thought he died here. Right? <laughs> He's like hanging from a broken stairwell, <laughs> screaming as the ghost charges at him. And then the next thing we know, he's just hanging out across the street, afraid to go back in. Yeah. Like, what? I thought he full on died. <laughs> How did he get out of there? Sequence. Why is he not possessed? Yeah. But I guess that we don't need that much more plot, you know? That would just add more There's things. There's so much plot. <laughs> and I've looked at my notes before we started recording I didn't take a lot of notes because there is so much plot and none of it is interesting. But I'm fine with this intro itself. This feels like it could be an intro to a modern day Ghostbusters show. Agreed. Absolutely. I think it is a good intro. Again, I I thought they killed the guy. (laughs) I was like, holy shit, that's an intro. Uh That is up in the stakes. But no, he's totally fine. Yep. And then we meet... I don't know that you can equate any of them to the characters, and that's something kind I kind of, of like. Can't. I kind of like that. That, they that they're tried, not like direct correlations. Yes, they sure, tried yeah. to create their own characters. Absolutely. The problem is, is that they're not as well defined. Yes, they're not defined characters. <laughs> they all could they all could be the same character. Exactly. But I to your point, I like that it's not just, well, she's Egon. I mean, you can kind of see that. Well, okay, I guess she's the Egon and she's, she's the Ray. Aykroyd. Yeah, like I guess you could, but they're not like one-to-one corollaries. Not in any way. And yeah. I liked that at first, but yeah, then they just become a blob. They could all be interchangeable for each other, and that's not good either. Right. I mean, especially when you take somebody like Leslie Jones and you throw her into the mix. Like, she is a completely different type of comedy. And by the end of the movie, they're just, you know, having that static shot of her and one of the other ladies just trying to come up with the most clever thing they can say off the top of their heads. And it's just, oh, it's all the same humor again. Great. Okay. Yes. Is that her boyfriend? Sexy. Yeah, he probably dances real sexy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like a, just a wine. Just... I don't I don't think his hips move at all. I think he's mechanical from like the ribcage no. down. I know how that guy dances. How's he dance? Like. No. I'm telling you, he look, I bet you he, he get loose at it. I bet you he pop locks. I bet you. He does. No. None of that. None of that's happening. It's rigid. Girl. It's got a lot of teeth. Please. And he thinks he's doing you a favor. And man, you're like, get that, it he, off me. He ripped that V-neck off and he gets it busy, And he's man. got, he rips that V-neck off, he's got another V-neck underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> it. Just irons out all the wrinkles and makes it a lot less interesting. Yes. I think that, yeah, they are not definable characters. Uh-huh. I think that is a good point. And like we said earlier, there is just villain after villain after villain. So just like in the first movie... She has this villainous dean at her school. She's at a prestigious school. She's at Columbia. Oh, is it Columbia? uh (laughs) She's at this prestigious school where she's like in... I don't know if he thinks they're in a relationship or if oh, they're not. Oh, this guy. Okay, so this isn't the dean. The dean... No, 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 I know. It's a different person, but I I was going to say she also has this kind of boyfriend. This is Justin Kirk. 
I know him from Weeds. He's the brother in Weeds, but he's in other things too. Completely unnecessary character. He should not even be in the fucking movie. No, he just adds weird, awkward humor. It's wasted time. This is all, like, everything centered around Kristen Wiig. This is probably her most definable characteristic. It's just very Waja. Embarrassment by proxy, right? Right. And I understand, again, that you might be thinking, well, that's what they did in Bridesmaids. But it worked for the character they created. Yeah, uh uh-huh. This is not a character. This is just, let's just do as many awkward, weird things that we can. Uh Uh-huh. And now her boyfriend doesn't like to show any sort of affection or acknowledge that he's her boyfriend in public. And there's practically no resolution. He comes up and is like, what are you doing? And then, like, that's the last time we ever see him. Yeah. So why but is he, he even up, in the movie? Yeah, but he takes up a lot of time in the beginning. Yeah. He takes up a lot of time. And then and then you forget about him. You think that, I guess, they're just done with that character. And then they bring him up, yeah, for one scene where he's like, you've been ignoring my calls. And she's like, whatever, you're the one that would never be with me. And then we never hear from him again. And that's the resolution of that entire thing. Yeah. So why not just cut him out from the beginning? Yeah. Charles Dance is enough of a villain. Yes. And he gets brought up a couple of times. Yes. And he has long scenes that I'm, I mean, I guess not long in the sense that like they're, you know, several minutes, but long in that like he has these monologues where you're just (laughs) like, are you an important character to the story? No. Then why are we hearing this monologue? The two deans in this movie probably get more screen time than they should have, considering how they're not villains for the rest of the movie. Yes, and then also, you just hit the nail on the head. We not only have to deal with Kristen Wiig's dean, we then have to deal with Melissa McCarthy's dick dean, uh-huh. who then is also a wacky character. They have to add on to it because it can't just be the same thing. So he has to be just a weirdo. And I'm like, I already got this from Kristen Wiig. Why am I going through the motions uh again? Uh Oh, because we need a reason for her not to be working at this school? Just say that she quits because she realizes she wants to be a Ghostbuster, which is what she wanted to be from the get-go. Right, Uh uh-huh. No reason to bring in a whole nother character. The concept is literally just set up payoff. There is nothing in between. It is... My school actually loves and supports me, unlike Columbia, cut to her getting fired from her school. And it's like there's no time to just sit in anything. There's no time for any great setup. It's just say a line and then immediately undercut it. And there's a place for that humor, but it's like all over the place in this movie. Yeah. But so she's working for Columbia and she is asked by... In the story, a random guy, but uh, we know him from, we've seen him on the show before, Oh, right? this is Ed Begley Jr. Yes. I don't know. I feel like he's been on the show before, and we've talked about him, but, I mean, he's probably most famous for St. Elsewhere back in the 80s. Sure. Is how he got really famous. But he's a comedic actor. He's all over the place. You've seen him. So he asks her about her book because she apparently wrote a book many years ago with an, with Melissa McCarthy about how ghosts are real. Yeah. And he's the one that owns the home that the guy was giving the tour through at the beginning of the film. And he says, I think my house is haunted. And this spurs Kristen Wiig to angrily go and talk to Melissa McCarthy and be like, hey, I thought you took that book down. Like, you can't sell that without my permission to do so. Uh-huh. And the banter here is just not good. I don't know who thought it was funny. 
I did not buy that they were old estranged friends. I didn't buy it. Yeah, well, because it's this movie wasn't about actual acting. It was about ad-lib comedy. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. It's like they watched the original Ghostbusters and didn't pick up on the fact that they were actual characters at the right. same time. It's not just the ad-libbing that made Ghostbusters funny. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get to meet the other chick from SNL. Kate McKinnon? Yes, who is their assistant engineer. As Holtzman, she's the Egon of this group, I guess you could say. Her hair in this, though, is reminiscent to me of Egon from the Ghostbusters cartoon, who was blonde for some reason. Yes, agreed. And her, it's just a mishmash of her SNL characters kind of shoved together. None of these are believable characters. None of these are people you could meet. Uh Uh-huh. And that sucks. Even if they're crazy characters, like an Egon would be a nuts character to meet, but, but I would I could believe I him. I could believe yes. that he is a person. Uh-huh. But so the way that you because you might be thinking, well, how are they going to get Kristen Wig to join them in this ghost busting hunt? Well, because Melissa McCarthy says, Well, you need to take us to this guy to introduce us so that we can take the job that you don't want. And in exchange, I will consider taking down the book so you don't get fired right before your tenure review. Yes. And they go, and it ends up being the Slimer, and, right? There's no. slime. I know there's slime. No, there's a another floating ghost who barfs on her. Oh, vomits green slime yeah, on uh-huh. her. I mean, it's pretty much the same fucking thing. And Kate McKinnon is eating chips. And it's just like, was it worth the joke? I have a note here that says, oh, goody, a Pringles ad. It's just like she just randomly and then, why are you eating Pringles? Once you pop, you can't stop or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, great. We have an ad for Pringles in, in okay, the middle so of the Okay, so it wasn't a bag of movie. chips. It's Pringles. But yeah, but it's like... Was it worth the joke? I don't think it was worth the joke. No, I don't think it's about the joke. I think Pringles paid them to put the product in the movie. Possibly. Because that's what filmmaking is now. It's terrible. But anyway, this is when they get Kristen. Okay, there are moments as they get Kristen Wiig to say on film, Ghosts are real! Ghosts are real! I believe in ghosts because I just saw them are real! And then they do a cut to... Charles Dance is showing her the video of herself. Yes. Saying, you're embarrassing the university. We're not going to give you tenure. It's like one great moment, and this is the first good one. And then <laughs> there's like what felt like half an hour of her walking down the hall. It went on and on. Coming up with excuses for why she's carrying a box of her stuff. She's not actually getting fired, and it's every person she comes to. She has a new explanation. I'm just taking my plant for a walk. And it's like... Ah, ah, this is just modern comedy. It's, here's an awkward scenario, just ad-lib it up. We'll find the joke in the edit. Like, no! No, 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 no. What the fuck are you doing? It's really, really bad. And this is when we get the scene with Melissa McCarthy's uh, Dean, which I'm not even going to talk about because I'm already annoyed about it from talking about it earlier. Yep. They end up stealing equipment and they are going to look into these ghosts. This is, I think, when we meet Leslie Jones. We're introduced to her because she's going to see the real villain of the story. Neil Casey playing Rowan. He's a really boring character and it's so funny because they put in all these villains and they give them so many scenes and it's hilarious because here's your main villain. 
the one that's actually going to do something to, like, try and take over the world. And he gets the least backstory. Yes. Of all of these villains. The implication is that basically he's an incel. No, that's fine that he is an incel, and I get why they would do that. Why does he have all this knowledge of the quote-unquote barrier? And why does he use the same terminology as the girls did in their fucking science project that they did when they were 11 years old? Well, because that's the real terminology, because ghost studies are real, Kelsey. (laughs) But, I mean, the point is, is that he is really fucking super smart and legitimately smart. That's the other thing. They make him come off as a guy who thinks that he's been persecuted by the world. And it's really, dude, nobody even thinks about you. Just fucking knock it off. You're being a dickhead, right? But he is legitimately a fucking genius that we find out later. Like in that scene when he kills himself later, it's because he's a genius. And we have no explanation for why he's this smart. We get to see the girls as as young smart women but we don't get to see him in the same way and so it's really weird it comes out of nowhere i wrote somewhere in my notes like wait we're supposed to believe that this rowan putz who is like is a bellboy for a hotel built all these ghost machines and then this giant fucking thing in the basement we're supposed to believe that he built all that and it's revealed only later that he's legitimately a genius it's like a dropped line somewhere yeah and i don't know why they felt they needed to have this human villain entity I don't know why they felt they needed that, because Gozer was great, and she didn't show up until the very end of the film. Right. Yeah, we could have had possessions. Right. Well, we do get possessions. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, do we get possessions. Yeah. It's. I just find it hilarious that like they needed to have so many villains with so much, so much content in the film, and then here's this dude, who actually we should be learning about his backstory and why he is the way that he is, and we get none. So, I mean, just real quick about him so we don't have to keep coming back to him. He's friends with a bunch of ghosts and some mirrors. He's going to break the barrier. Yeah. I think the barrier, I don't know, like the mirror dimension is the barrier. I don't know. There's no real explanation for how any of it works. By the end of the movie, he's going to be like the big bad. Why he would even have those powers over any other dead person, never explained. Where he goes, he becomes... This monster, and then he just walks away and just leaves them behind and is no longer confronting them and just dies when they solve the problem. They don't actually confront him at all. What a shitty villain. Just a shitty, shitty villain. We do get a funny joke here when they're uh, venturing out on their own because they don't have the support of their schools anymore. Uh, They find the firehouse and somebody tries to sell them the firehouse and they're like, this place is a shithole, and they leave, and they go somewhere else. Plus, it's like super expensive I think or whatever. This place should be condemned. Yeah, and then they leave, and they move in above the Chinese restaurant where Melissa McCarthy always orders her food. And there's just there's like the four different gag. wonton jokes. Oh my god, the fucking running gag! And they just, just will like, not let it go. When did when was it funny? It wasn't funny the first time. It's certainly funny not the oh, fourth time. Oh, but it time. pays off at the end when she gets nothing but wontons, Kelsey. I hope you brought me more than one wonton. God, are you kidding me? What? I got one wonton. I got a tub of soup, and I got one split wonton. Look at that, just floating there. I'm sorry you're having a soup crisis right now. There's not even any meat in there. 
That's just a carrot. Abby, please. Yes. Abby! I got one one time. What do I have to do? I'll take my top off for Benny if it gets me three more wontons. I swear to God. What is that? It's our hot and sour shrimp soup. That looks like dishwater and one, one shrimp, and I think it's, I hope, that's a water chestnut. I'm just looking for a reasonable ratio of wontons to broth. This is absolute madness. Come on, girl, you deserve every wonton in the world. Don't let any man tell you otherwise. Okay. It's just a container full of wontons. <laughs> but so she, Leslie Jones, encounters him. She works for the subway system and she encounters him. And I think this is a total, this is, this is a, a direct homage to two, right? Because don't they do a lot in the subway tunnels in two? And then they also have the, the guy who was killed in the electric chair. And that's part of the brothers from two. So I think this is a direct there, I think homage. some, some, some. I, would, I wouldn't say direct, I might say oblique references. Well, before she goes to talk to them, we have the, the scene with... Um, oh, I fucking forgot about Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. And, you know, it's really goddamn insulting that what was one of the worst things about the original was when, when what's-his-name was being a Bank creep Man towards being women. A creep. Yeah, uh-huh. What have we had to deal with trying to get this movie just to get people to fucking see it because there's women being put in the roles of the Ghostbusters, right? And it's so fucking insulting. We have to have Kristen Wiig totally sexually harass this idiot uh, guy who yeah. might as well be a blonde bimbo with big tits. Like, uh huh. So because men did it to us, we have to do it to them? Are you fucking kidding me? And it's, it's so easy just to excuse it away by going, ah, but you see, they're just pointing at what was going on in other movies when the genders are reversed. Aha. It's like, yeah, no, we know. That's obvious. We already don't like that stuff. <laughs> like, could you maybe not do it in this one? Could you maybe not undermine your point? And I think it's really sad that some of the funniest lines in here are just because it's a gorgeous man idiot saying them. If it was a chick, it wouldn't be funny at all. Because if it was a chick, it would just be the stupid stereotype. The only reason these lines are funny is because Chris Hemsworth is saying them, and he is a good comedic actor. Surprisingly, He's yeah. Wasted in this role. I agree. He's very toned down, a little understated. I don't know if it's because I know he's said things in the past about how intimidating it was to do comedy up against some comedic legends. So. I don't know if maybe he felt a little bit more reserved as a result of that, but he's he feels a little toned down, and it's like no, this is this is Thor. Like I feel like he was he being, could do it. I feel like he was just trying to up his idiocy. I think is what he was trying to uh-huh. present here. And thank God some of his comedic genius came through, and some of his lines landed, but a lot of them didn't, and it wasn't his fault. It's because he was being written, like I said, like a dumb, blonde, uh, big-boobed girl. And if it was a chick, I would be extremely offended. And I am still offended because it is an offensive role. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He's also a dick, too. Did you notice that about his character? Like, he's an asshole. Well, I think that it's supposed to be he's an, he's an asshole only because he's an idiot. He He's so stupid, he does things that only a dick would do, but it's because he doesn't realize that it's a dick thing to do. Right, but like, hey, you're going to answer the phone? No. Like, that's 
what? Why is this character behaving this way? <laughs> well, because the joke is, I don't want to, because uh-huh. he's too stupid to understand that's your fucking job. Uh-huh. But that's, it's not a clever no, joke. It no, no. Really, it makes your character kind of muddled. No. In a and a movie full of ill-defined characters. I read that uh, the director was upset that he had to take out the scene where the cops are oh, dancing. dancing. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Why are you upset you had to take that out? It was bad. And if you were trying to recreate the scene from the mask novel, not only was it a desperate attempt to do right. so, you don't have Jim Carrey. It's the literally the same same scene as in The Mask when he makes all the cops dance. It's the literally the same thing. only reason that scene is funny is because Jim Carrey is doing it. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I think Chris Hemsworth is a great comedic actor. He's not Jim Carrey. Yeah. He does have some fun lines. Like, for example, you know what an aquarium is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Submarine fish. That's really good. What? The two references to the aquarium are good because then the phone's ringing and they're like, are you going to answer the phone? And he's like, I can't. It's in the aquarium. <laughs> and they're like, no, the other phone that's ringing. <laughs> like, that was good. Yes. There are some moments. This movie is like, I when I said at the beginning, it's okay. It's fine. It really is. It's okay. It's fine. It's just not good. Oh, God. They have a joke where, okay, this is when they meet Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones brings them to the subway. And the way that they get the Ghostbusters logo is so stupid. Oh, yes. So this is. It's not funny. Who thought this was funny? This is Rob Corddry's little brother, Nate Corddry, is a tagger. And he does his art in the subway. And. They mention ghosts, so he starts to draw a ghost. Like, no, no, no drawing. Oh, I shouldn't draw a ghost? Okay, let me put the circle slash through it. And, oh, now we have our logo. And then, for some reason, later on in the film, the villain will know that logo, which they don't use anywhere else in the movie. Do they not? I don't think so. I don't think they ever put it on the car. Surely they do. It's like in flyers or something. But... He somehow is aware of this, and then that's what he turns into instead of the instead State of Puff the State Marshmallow Puff Man, yeah. which we do see for no reason, <laughs> just as a callback. Yep. Okay, but it is funny when Leslie Jones shows up with the car, with the with the Oh, hearse. yeah, with her uncle's hearse. And you get a car! <laughs> and you get a car! It's an old joke, but she does it well. Uh-huh. This is when they tr- they test out the the proton, um, packs. the proton packs, and it's just like I actually I really liked the effect. Like the joke isn't funny that she's getting that she's being thrown around, thrown like around I was just by like, it. So take your finger off the right, button. turn it off. Why is this funny? Yeah, it's it like the humor is everyone sort of underreacting to her getting tossed around everywhere. Like that's the joke, but the effect of the beam, like, just sort of coming out and going, Bleh. like, that was really cool. It feels like it's physically there, which I appreciated. And then they up the power, and then it's starting to throw her around everywhere. But all the other gadgets are dumb. They needed to find, like, it It devolves into, okay, remember what happens at the end of the last Ghostbusters. It's a, we confront you, we try to attack you, you get away, we think we win. You summon a giant monster, and we're terrified of this monster, so we use our brains to figure out how to use what we have to solve this problem. 
It's a great idea. I'm excited to be a part of it. <laughs> this movie devolves into an action scene mm-hmm. where it's all slow-mo using guns and hitting people and punches and grenades. And, you know, I got a wood chipper, a portable wood chipper. And it's like, that's what the movie devolves into. It's like, uh, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. So I don't care about any of these gadgets other than how good the proton pack effect looks. <laughs> That's it. Somewhere around here, we meet Dr. Martin Heiss. Is that Bill Murray? Yes. God, that sucks. So he's talking about how he doesn't believe them. He's a great debunker. Uh, later on, he's going to show up at their office when they claim they caught a ghost because he wants to see it. And does it kill him? It does. Okay. So they catch a ghost at a heavy metal concert and then... Fucking Ozzy Osbourne has a one-liner because that's what this movie's about. Oh, look, it's a celebrity cameo. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, great. They, it's so long, them arguing over whether or not they should open the trap. Uh, of course they shouldn't open the trap, but Kristen Wiig has taken too many on the chin, and people need to start believing her, which is fair. Like, I get the point that they're making. But she lets it out, and it immediately grabs him and throws him out the window, and now they have a runaway ghost. Yeah. It's really stupid. Uh Uh-huh. It's really, really stupid. They fucking killed Bill Murray's character. I'm sure he thought it was really funny. Oh, I'm sure. But, like, I don't want... I don't want him in the movie just to say the ghosts don't exist. Like, I want him to be all four ghosts existing. I want him to be a ghost. I want him to... I just don't want it. Yeah. I don't want him to just be a stupid character that was just like, well, we gotta have Bill Murray in the movie. Just like it felt with Dan Hackroyd. We gotta have him in the movie. Yeah. And he's gotta say, oh, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. So stupid. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's them chasing after this ghost that takes them to the concert. Hmm. I do love, I don't know where they are. I don't know if they're backstage or where they are, where they're going. But Leslie Jones is all by herself. It's like a coat rack or something has moved. She turns and she sees it. Oh, it's a mannequin. Yes. And she's just like, was that there before? Please don't answer. Please don't answer. (laughs) And it's really, really good. Unfortunately, then it turns into a really bad CG mannequin running after everyone. Oh, yeah. But Uh the line of, oh, please don't answer, is so good because she realizes, because at first it just comes out of a, was that there before? Expecting it to not have been there before. And then you Uh realize, if it wasn't there before, then it can move and it can talk and I don't want it. Please don't (laughs) be real. And it's really good. Was that there before? Please do not answer. And then turns into a running thing. And then, yes, then they are out on stage. And so the band, the Beasts of Mayhem, uh, is like, oh, look, we've really summoned Satan. Not a real band. Good thing, by the way, because they're not great. They're they're pretty (laughs) bad, actually. So they run up on stage and everyone thinks it's part of the show. And then so when the... The ghost, which is this, like, giant gargoyle-like thing. Which I thought had killed the singer, but apparently not, because the singer gets up and sings five seconds later and is fine. It throws him into the equipment, and then, yeah, he just gets up and starts singing again. So in order to go after him, Melissa McCarthy 
Uh, you guys got to get out of the way. If you're not getting out of the way, I'm going to jump. And so she jumps, and now she's crowd surfing everyone. Isn't this fun? But then Leslie Jones jumps, and nobody catches her. Like, that's a really fucking tired joke. But it's her response to the joke. It's her response that's She's really like, I don't good. know if it's a race thing or, or a lady, lady thing. thing. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But I'm pissed. Yeah. Like, th that's really good. But Little John from Halloween Kills yes. is the manager. He's the one who's running things at the venue. Of course, it's the joke of people say I have a disturbing scream. And you're like, nope, we're going to hear him scream later. Like, it's literally just set up punchline. That's all it ever is. Mm -hmm. Just set a punchline. Just like, boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. No patience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. This is when they grab the demon. And then they will eventually let it out to prove the point to Bill Murray, which is bullshit. This is when we're introduced to the mayor of this movie. And this is a really stupid villain situation. And I'm really sad because I love the chick. I love his assistant. I love her from SNL. She's one of my favorites. And again, she's just fucking wasted yeah, here uh -huh. of just being a bitch but at the same time telling them secretly, you're amazing and we it's love you and thank you. It's the same joke over and over again. And over and over again, they will do this. Uh -huh. And it's like, okay, do it once, maybe. We're going to have to pretend that you're liars, and, and but secretly thank you for protecting the city. Over yeah. and over. Like, repeat, at like least three, or three or four times. times. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it's really stupid and really annoying and obnoxious. And you know what? I don't need the New Yorkers to hate them. You know what they did in the first movie? They had the New Yorkers love them, and that was way more fun. Yeah. Oh, did we mention Annie Potts is a receptionist at the hotel that they go to? Has that happened yet? And did you try adjusting the thermostat before placing this call? Well, I'm terribly sorry that you have a draft in your room. Why don't you hold while I connect you to someone who might care? <clears throat> Hi, excuse me. Hold on. What do you want? Where's your janitor? Oh, that nut job. What has he done? I don't want to know. Just take the stairs down and get him out. If I did write it down, we're not there. Otherwise, I didn't because it wasn't good enough. Uh-huh. I mentioned it up at the top, but I mean, I haven't mentioned it now that we're here. But the mayor is Andy Garcia. And a pretty funny role for Andy Garcia. He doesn't get a lot of comedic roles. It's around this time they realize that the villain is creating a vortex, some sort of device to bring the ghosts out of their dimension and they see him kill himself and they're just like that was weird like jesus he totally just kills himself but he's super confident he's gonna come back as a ghost because he Not understands ghost, how all this works a powerful ghost for can, no reason no explanation why who can possess people so he yes. first possesses melissa mccarthy but then uh, he ends up possessing Chris Hemsworth. Right, because he's hot and strong and stuff. Mm hmm And this is when all of the ghosts the are coming breaks. out. Yeah. And we see the Slimer and his apparent wife take over yeah. their car. Which is weird. Again, Slimer loses his butt crack in this one. This is when the I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost joke happens. Oh, uh, with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. There is a really funny response to this, though, that Kristen Wiig gets where she's like, that's a double negative. It means you are afraid of ghosts. <laughs> where are you going? Chinatown. Nah, that's like uh, one more block south than I want to go. Sir, those are actual ghosts flying around. Nah, the class five floating vapors. Nothing to worry about. No, 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 it's important. Don't you see what's happening? Look, I don't go to Chinatown. I don't drive wackos, and I ain't afraid of no ghosts. What? No, 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 wait. That's a 
literally means you're afraid of at least one ghost, but still. <laughs> All right, okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> there is a bizarre sequence where I'm sure they thought, this'll be creepy. If we have these big, giant, scary-looking... Balloon Balloons. Floats. Yes, it's like a haunted Macy's parade. But it's so stupid. I wrote, why are there giant ghost balloons? Because it looks <laughs> creepy, but it's so stupid. I will say I loved the colors. Yeah, the it colors looks good. Is, it was beautiful. I love that all the ghosts, like even when he turns into whatever the, that, the, the ghost in the logo, he has a name. I can't remember what it is, but... Like, when he's walking around, it kind of looks like he's made out of fabric, you know, because he's got that tip on the head, and then, like, it looks like he's made out of something. Like, everything feels sort of substantial, but also neon. And you know what? I liked it. I'm sorry if you didn't, but I did. But yeah, why are there giant ghost balloons? Also, when he's dressed up as... <laughs> dressed up. When he's possessing Chris Hemsworth... And then he makes every single police officer and bystander start dancing because he can control them. Yeah. yeah. And then the Ghostbusters show up and he's like, oh, I have to do something about you. Get the possess them. If you yeah. can control how these people move, just do that to them and they will not be a threat to you. Yeah. Good point. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I didn't like that all of a sudden out of nowhere. Their proton packs can just disintegrate ghosts. Yeah. They no longer have to put them in traps. They can just disintegrate them, which they had not established at all in the story. I don't think it's their proton packs, but it's like the grenade does that. The guns do that. But yeah. But this is the moment I wrote. I could really do without all this over the top superhero shit. Mm hmm. And why would Rowan be the ghost god? He was just a dude. All the ghosts are basically just dudes that can fly sometimes. Why does he have all these superpowers? However, okay, so I know the scene you're talking about that you hate that's all action sequency. I did like the song, the version of the song, which is funny because earlier in the film I wrote down, oh, I hate, and I don't know if it's the same, but at some point they kind of re- remixed the song and I was like, oh, I hate this. But then during this action sequence, I actually really liked their version of the song. Fallout Boy and Missy Elliott. Really? Yeah. Uh, there's one version. And then there's another version performed by Walk the Moon. Another version performed by No Small Children. So y- do you get what we're doing here? There's four fucking versions of this song in the movie. And that's what I'm saying. One of them was really, really bad. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, no. And then this one was good. <laughs> How long is this fucking movie I wrote somewhere around here? Jesus. Goes on and on. Like once um, they once they realize that things have gone bad and they need to do something about it, it feels like it's 90% of the movie still left. Mm-hmm. It's not, but it just feels that way because that whole part of the movie up to the climax, that rising action bit, or it's all the climax, whatever you want to say about it. It's just so fucking long. When they get flattened, oh my god! Oh yeah, like, under the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Seriously, this joke is happening right now. They got separated from Kristen Wiig, and she comes back. She and uses saves the them. Swiss Army knife, which is a callback to a joke earlier, because she was like, "What is it?" And they said, "Oh, it's, it's just a Swiss, Swiss Army, Army knife. knife." Yeah, and it works here. And oh my god, they end up going into the vortex, and that goes on for forever. Um, when they come back, they've got white hair. 
Yes, so that's Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig have white hair. Mm-hmm. They look all right with white hair. And they've saved New York. When they do that, by the way, so, okay, Rowan turns himself into the the logo ghost, ghost right? And then he gets really Which big. I don't think he ever saw. And then he just walks right past them and just starts stomping down the streets well, and doesn't he interact to with them. the world. He remember, doesn't care about them. I understand, but remember, he is the main fucking villain of this movie. And we're getting a, a confrontation between the two of them. They're heading off, right? And he turns into this giant monster like, oh, shit, they're going to have to deal with him. And then he just fucks off. And then they have to deal with the vortex. And when they close the vortex, he dies off doing something he, else. Yeah, but he grabs he grabs Melissa Carthy on his way in, yeah. which is why Kristen Wiig has to go after her. She saves her life. That's when they're But again, it's another, it feels like, unnecessary villain. So much, so much unnecessary shit in this movie. So everyone's happy. The city loves them. Finally. Even though the even though they still felt the need to include the goddamn mayor uh-huh. and Andy and Garcia. the chick from SNL still saying that none of this stuff happened. Uh-huh. And even the fucking uh, news reporters are like, it really happened. We all saw it. Uh-huh. So why is this in the movie? Uh huh. This is when we get Patty's uncle, Leslie Jones' uncle, showing up, and fucking that's Ernie finally. Hudson. He gets at the very end, but at least he's directly related to the cast, right? So, like, theoretically, I could see him coming back. The cab driver wouldn't make sense. Um, Bill Murray's Bill dead. Bill Murray's dead. So, like, yeah, at least he could come back. Yes. And it would make sense. Where is it? What are you talking about? I told you what happened. Where's the car? It's on the other side. In Jersey? No, in the portal. Uh, you know what? We should probably let them just work this out. Excuse me. Hey. I got four funerals this weekend. I can't do them with just one hearse. Maybe you could do two at a time. We're not stacking them like flapjacks. And then we get credits, and then we get Dr. Rebecca Goring, who is apparently Holtzman's mentor. She's in it for all Sigourney of two seconds Weaver. after the uh, credits have started. And then... what? A, wh- how disrespectful right. to Sigourney Weaver. She gets a fun little scene. It was almost like, hey, Sigourney... Come on in. We'll have some fun. We'll ad lib it up. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'm glad that they had fun and they got to do something together. But it does feel very dismissive and like, why is this even here? One of the greatest parts of Ghostbusters. I understand you couldn't get Rick Moranis. I get it. He wasn't in the acting world anymore. But next to him, the next best one is Sigourney Weaver. And you put her in this? Well, one of my favorites is Egon and Harold Ramis is actually dead. So like... (laughs) I'm giving nothing in this movie. <laughs> he's dead. They couldn't I help that. I know. I'm just saying. It's it's unfortunate for me is what I mean, Kelsey. <laughs> anyway, during the end credits, we get this sort of stinger moment or at the end of them. I don't remember. There is a stinger. Leslie Jones is listening to one of the recordings. There was a joke. Oh, have you heard? <laughs> I'll admit this was this did make me kind of giggle. Where they try to make her listen to the the voice phenomenon, the EVP stuff. So they have her listening to a recording and the volume's turned all the way up. And she's listening and she's listening. And then all of a sudden it's just... <laughs> they recorded a fart noise just to like mock her. And it's like, okay, that's that was kind of funny. Now Leslie Jones is listening to it at the end of the movie. And she's hearing something. And they're like, what? And she takes the headphones off and she's like, what's Zool? I mean, I guess, but Zool's not the big bad in that movie. Gozer is. But a fine... Are we going to get a sequel? Is Yeah, that they definitely thought they were going to do a sequel. Pretty sure they were in the comic books. I think the comic books did like a universe crossover thing. 
where we got the movie Ghostbusters, the remake Ghostbusters, and the cartoon Ghostbusters, like, all meeting each other. <laughs> so you get to see, like, the Egon from the movies and the Egon from the cartoon, which look nothing alike, <laughs> like, meeting each other, which is pretty funny. But that is 2016's Ghostbusters. Do you have any other things that you didn't get to that you wanted to? I don't think so. I don't think so either. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure it's pretty low. Let me guess, 47. It's actually 74. Oh. Ghostbusters does an impressive job of standing on its own as a freewheeling, marvelously cast supernatural comedy, even if it can't help but pale somewhat in comparison with the classic original. Somewhat? Yes, somewhat. Metacritic of 60. Cinema score of B+. People were feeling okay coming out of that movie. Hmm. People that actually saw it. Yeah. That was a big problem. A lot of the commentary was people that hadn't seen it yet arguing with people that hadn't seen it yet. Like, that was what the discourse was. Mm-hmm. And it, and it kind of sucked because we saw it and afterwards we're like, you know, the movie fucking sucked. But I don't want to, like, agree with all those assholes that also hadn't seen it but just declared that it was going to be bad because it was women. Like, that's not what the problem is with this movie. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's overrated or underrated? Overrated. Sure. But what would you give it? You know, there were some funny moments, and I really like these actors. Most of it is pretty crappy. I'll give it a 45. 45. Um, I was going to give it a 55 mm-hmm. on the on the positive side of halfway. I'm thinking of giving it a 50, but... Pretty close to that Metacritic. Well, now we're averaging out to 50. Like I said, it's okay. It's a disappointment, though. It's an enormous for, disappointment. For it to just be okay and slightly annoying, like, it's it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Like, I was really excited for this to be very good, mm-hmm. and it wasn't very good. No. Unfortunately. It kind of... It made a lot of references to the original, but I don't think they really understood what made the original great. Yeah. Like, oh, they did ad-libbing in the original. We'll do ad-lib- ad-libbing in this one. No, not that kind of ad-libbing. Mm-hmm. You rerun the scene several times, let them do one line. Don't just keep the cameras rolling and just let them talk at each other in the same flat voice because mm-hmm. you think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That is 2016's Ghostbusters, thus ending our Ghostbusters double feature. The late night double feature show. When Afterlife comes out to streaming and everyone can watch it at home, sometime after that, we will do a second Ghostbusters episode with Ghostbusters 2 and Afterlife. Woo-hoo! So look forward to that. Hopefully the new one's good. Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, I'm... Mm. <laughs> I mean, I... I think it'll be okay. I I will probably like it better than this one. All the product placement looks to be really annoying. Like when Paul Rudd goes into the grocery store, there's all those front-facing logos, like entire walls of logos, and it's just, oh, God. The Pringles joke was bad enough in this one. Yeah. I mean, I was more excited about it when it was when the trailers were focused on the kids. I mean, like, I don't care. I don't want Paul Rudd. I don't want... I don't want it to be this again. Like, I don't want... That kind of banter. I think it needs to be focused on the kids. I think it needs yeah. to be a little bit spooky. I think it needs yeah. to be 
Like, that's what I got from the teaser trailer, and now I'm starting to see more, and I am getting a little bit worried. Well, Paul Rudd has his solo scene, Sexiest Man Alive. Paul Rudd, by the way. People Magazine just named him Sexiest Man Alive for this year. I disagree. Do tell. My Who husband's pray? the sexiest man alive. Aww. Yikes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, he has a lot not, of- I've like, never found Paul Rudd to be attractive. Oh, dude, totally is. He has some solo scenes, but mostly when he's interacting with the plot, he's up against the kids. And I think that's going to be good. I'm excited. I, I, someone I was watching a review or something of it or a preview or something, somebody said something to the effect of, if it wasn't for Ghostbusters 2016, I think people would be rejecting the idea that the Ghostbusters are kids in this movie. <laughs> but Ghostbusters 2016 sort of took that hit for them. <laughs> and now they can do it in this one. So maybe that's the case. I don't know. Anyway... What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is Thanksgiving. It is? Mm-hmm. So what are we watching? Some Thanksgiving horror movies. These are going to be movies you've never seen. You've probably never even heard of before, but it's Thanksgiving. So we're going to watch some Thanksgiving horror, goddammit. Yes. The first one is called Blood Rage. Heard of it. From 1987. And Escape Room from 2019, which is set on Thanksgiving weekend, I believe. And I'm sure it's going to be a great movie. <laughs> I'm sure it For will For some be. reason, I think it's going to be just a real hack sort of rehash of like Saw or something like that. Probably. And it's not going to be any good. Like, you know, if you want to watch a movie like this, just watch Cube, you know? <laughs> We'll see. I don't know. Never seen it. I don't think I've ever even seen a trailer. I just am vaguely aware of its existence. I think there's a bunch of movies that are about escape rooms that are horror. Uh-huh. Well, this got a sequel. Okay. came out this year. Okay. So it did something. People okay. watched it, apparently. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that is next week. Until then, you can always catch us at our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter by following us at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But even bigger than that is just sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is the fact that you listen in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? We've been going about this all wrong. Is Mr. Stay Puffs okay? He's a sailor. He's in New York. We get this guy laid. We won't have any trouble. She just wants some more. I think you better call.
smell bad. Her eggs start bursting and then cooking on the countertop. Say that again. Say <laughs> the eggs in her carton, the eggs from her crotries. What did I say? Start bursting out of... You said her eggs just start bursting open and frying on the <laughs> oh, okay, thing. I'm okay. just like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I am Vins, Vins Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer, Volgus Zildrahar, Lord of the Sabulia. Are you the gatekeeper? <laughs> During the rectification of the Voldrini, the Traveler came as a large and moving Torg. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shoves and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. So good! We not only have to deal with Kristen Wiggs, Dean, we then have to deal with, what's the other chick's name? I was, I was like, oh God, she's going to ask me. She's going to ask Melissa McCarthy. Go surreal, I've seen one! Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Oh, I thought for sure you were ready. You were just like looking me dead in the eye. <laughs> Normally I can see you start to scramble. <laughs>